Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the most important themes and plot drivers in Ursula K. Le Guin's novel, The Wizard of Earthsea, is Ged's interactions with what's referred to as the shadow or his shadow. And these are almost completely antagonistic until the very end. He fears, he's angered by, he flees, he fights this shadow. And it's only at the very end that there's some sort of reconciliation with his being that he brought into Earthsea inadvertently. And one of the key things that comes up early on is this question, does the shadow actually have a name? And the mages disagree about it. The summoner says, I don't actually know. Ogian asserts that it does have a name, all things have a name. The Archmage Genshur says, no, it doesn't have a name. It's from a place where names don't exist. And there's offers of aid from, we could call them bad actors in some, some respect, to give Ged the name of the shadow, which would give him power over it from the dragon of Pendor and from the Terranon, the stone that is an old power of Earth. Well, it's not really the stone itself, but rather its representatives who say that it could give him the name. And we never really find out until the very end what its name is. We'll talk about that in a moment. I do want to say something before we go any deeper into this, because people are liable to bring this up as soon as they hear the term the shadow, if they've heard anything about the psychoanalyst Jung, they say, aha, she must have gotten that from Jung. Ursula K. Le Guin was crystal clear in interviews that she did not get it from Jung. She read the Jung stuff about the shadow after Wizard of Earthsea was published, so there's no direct connection there. This is important in part because of what goes on later in the story that a lot of people want to read things in. So one of the questions we should begin with is, well, what sort of thing is this? And, you know, Ged does his research, as Le Guin tells us, and there's not an awful lot of information to come across. There's just, you know, hints here and there. We get a interesting discussion of it coming up in uh, chapter six, when Ged is trying to get back to Roke, and he can't because the wind turns turns him away because he, he would be bringing some evil. And he, he's thinking about this. He says, that thing was bodiless, blind to sunlight, the cr a creature of lightless, placeless, timeless realm. It must grope after him through the days and across the seas of the sunlit world and could take visible shape only in dream and darkness. It has as yet no substance or being that the light of the sun would shine on. And so it is sung in the deed of Hode. Daybreak makes all earth and sea from shadow brings forth form, driving dream to the dark kingdom. So that's, you know, a bit about its ontological status. It's, it's being, we could say. Here's something else. 
if once the shadow caught up with Gad, it could draw his power out of him and take from him the very weight and warmth and life of his body and the will that moved him. So this is what the shadow desires, what the shadow seeks. It's parasitical upon being. This is something similar to the notion of evil as privation, but not complete non-being that we see in, in many thinkers, particularly Neoplatonist thinkers. What are its powers? It can suck the life out of Ged. It can turn him inside out, turn him into a Gebeth, as we find it doing to somebody else. So the shadow is pursuing Ged, and he is fleeing from it. He is running away, and he's asking, where can I actually go that this thing won't be able to track me down? First, he tries to go to Roke. That's not an option anymore. Then he uh, is told that he should go to further north and go to Oskil because maybe somebody can help him there. So he gets on a boat and they're all, you know, slaves or free people rowing the boat. And one of the men says, are you a slave or an oath break? Neither. Why no knife then? Afraid to fight? Said the man, Skior, jeering. No. Your little dog fight for you? Otak, said another who listened. No dog, that is Otak. Then he said something in Askilian that made Skior scowl and turn away. Here's where we get to something important. Just as he turned, Ged saw a change in his face, a slurry and shifting of his features, as if for a moment something had changed him, used him, looking out his eyes, sidelong at Ged. So... Skewer is actually going to be used by the shadow. The shadow is following Ged on the same ship. And when they get to Oskil, Skior says, I can lead you to the court of the Terranon. I can lead you to this place. I'll take you along. And Ged says, well, I don't like this guy, but I don't speak the language. So maybe this would be a good idea. And he asks him over and over again, how far? Skior turned his head, says, not far. And a little bit later, Ged says, Darkness comes in snow. How far, Skior? After a pause, the other answered without turning, not far. But his voice sounded not like a man's voice, but like a beast, hoarse and lipless, that tries to speak. What we have there is the shadow in the body of Skior. It has taken over his body, his mind, his soul, his will. And now we have a confrontation. The shadow once again goes after Ged, and it does so at the very start by using Ged's true name. Before Ged could speak, spell, or summon power, the Gebeth spoke, saying in its hoarse voice, Ged. Then the young man could work no transformation, but was locked in his true being and must face the Gebeth thus defenseless. Nor could he summon any help in this alien land. He stood alone with nothing between him and his enemy but the staff of you wood in his right hand. The thing that had devoured Skior's mind and possessed his flesh made the body take a step towards Ged. A rage of horror filled Ged, and he swung up and brought his staff, whistling down on the hood that hid the shadow face. Hood and cloak collapsed down nearly to the ground under that fierce blow. The body of a Gebeth has been drained of true substance and is something like a shell or a vapor in the form of man, an unreal flesh clothing the shadow which is 
real. The real person has been turned into a shell or a shadow. The shadow is what is real and it's going after Ged. He manages to escape and to make it into the court of the Terranun. Other adventures ensue there. As I mentioned, the stone is wanting to take him as a slave and he escapes. He escapes in the form of a bird and he flies all the way to Gaunt to meet up with Ogion. Ogion is able to transform him back into a human being. And I, I think it's worth noting this line. Ged had taken hawk shape in fierce distress and rage. And when he flew from Oskil, there had been one thought in his mind to outfly both stone and shadow to escape the cold treacherous lands, to go home. The falcon's anger and wildness were like his own and had become his own and his will to fly had become the falcon's will. So Ogion transforms him back and Ged says, listen, I'm not looking for refuge here. I'm looking for counsel. Can you help me out here? And Ogion tells him something very important. After he tells him that the shadow must have a name, Ged says, if the shadow has a name, I don't think it will stop and tell it to me. And Ogion says, no, nor have you stopped and told it your name. And yet it knew it. On the moors of Oskil, it called you by your name, the name I gave you. It's strange. How, how does the shadow know Ged's name? And this is part of what's leading us to the very end. Ogion also tells him something very important. It's time for you to stop running. It's time for you to face this thing and not just face it, to hunt it. Ogion says, do not transform yourself again. The shadow seeks to destroy your true being. No, where you should go, I do not know. I have an idea of what you should do, but it's a hard thing to say to you. You must turn around. If you go ahead, if you keep running, wherever you run, you will meet danger and evil. It drives you. It chooses the, the way you will go. You must choose. You must seek what seeks you. You must hunt the hunter. And so this is going to be a turning point in the story. The next chapter is actually called Hunting, chapter eight. And what we find is that the shadow leads Ged into a sort of trap. We find out that Ged is going to go out and chase the shadow. He says, on the sea, he wished to meet it. If meet it, he must. He was not sure why this was, yet he had a terror of meeting the thing again on dry land. Out of the sea, there rise storms and monsters, but no evil powers. Evil is of earth. And there is no sea, no running of river or spring in the dark land where Ged had once gone. Death is the dry place. Though the sea itself was a danger to him in the hard weather of the season, the danger and change and instability seemed to him a defense and choice. And when he met the shadow in the final end of his folly, he thought maybe he could grip the thing, even as it gripped him and drag it down with the weight of his body and the weight of his own death down into the darkness of the deep sea from which so held it might not rise again. So he's ready to risk his life to destroy this evil that has been chasing him and threatens Earthsea. He says once he gets to this place, the only isle between Gaunt and Arena, he says, Come then, come on, what do you wait for, Shadow? I am here, I get the Sparrowhawk, and I summon my Shadow. And then the Shadow comes. It had done with the body of the Oskilian Orman, and not as Gebeth did it follow him, nor did it wear that beast shape in which he'd seen it on Rolk Knoll and in his dreams. It had a shape now, even in the daylight. In its pursuit of Ged and its struggle with him on the moors, it had drawn power from him, sucking it into himself. And it may be that his summoning of him had given it to it or forced upon it some form or semblance. Certainly it had now some likeness to a man, though being a shadow, 
It casts no shadow. And what does he do? He struggles with it, right? He chases it for, he talks about hunted and hunter. And eventually he's drawn up and his ship is capsized in wrecks. And now, you know, he meets with these people. I'm going to skip ahead. He also runs into it at another place, right? And the shadow appears, this is a little bit later, in the boat, The shadow stood behind him in the boat. Had he lost one instant, he had been lost. But he was ready and lunged to seize and hold the thing, which wavered and trembled there in arm's reach. No wizardry would serve him now, but only his own flesh, his life itself against the unliving. He spoke no word, but attacked, and the boat plunged and pitched from his sudden turn and lunge. Pain ran up his arms into his breast, taking away his breath, and icy cold filled him. He was blinded. Yet in his hands that seized the shadow, there was nothing. Darkness. Air. And here he has an important realization. All terror was gone. All joy was gone. It was a chase no longer. He was neither hunted nor hunter now. For the third time they had met and touched. He had of his own will turned to the shadow, seeking to hold it with living hands. He had not held it, but he had forged between them a bond, a link that had no breaking point. There was no need to hunt the thing down to track it, nor would its flight avail it. Neither would escape when they had come to the time and place for their last meeting. They would meet. So we've gone from Ged being the hunted, chased by the shadow, trying to flee it, to turning around and becoming the hunter, chasing it as it flees. And now... They're ready to have their final confrontation, which takes quite a while, two chapters worth, and the very end of the book, right? What we find is, in the meantime, the shadow has taken on Ged's form. We find that on one of the islands, just a day before, somebody like Ged had been seen. And when Ged runs into Vetch, Vetch said, I I saw you three days ago, but you ignored me. What's up with that? And Ged tells him about the shadow. And then they go out to chase this thing together. And I'm going to skip ahead to the final confrontation. So Ged takes them far out there to where the sea begins to turn into land. And he steps out as the shadow is approaching. At first it was shapeless, but as it drew near, it took on the look of a man, an old man, it seemed gray and grim, coming towards Ged. And now notice the transformations it goes through. Even as Ged saw his father, the smith in that figure, he saw it was not an old man, but a young man. It was Jasper. Jasper's insolent, handsome young face and silver-clasped gray cloak and stiff stride. Hateful was the look he fixed on Ged across the dark intervening air. And then it became Petvari, a person that Ged had become friends with earlier on in the work. Still, Ged did not stop and went forward. Then the thing that faced him changed utterly, spreading out to either side as if it opened enormous thin wings. It writhed, swelled, and shrank again. Ged saw in it for an instant Skior's white face and a pair of clouded staring eyes, suddenly a fearful face he did not know, man or monster, with writhing lips and eyes that were like pits going into black emptiness. Then what happens? Ged spoke the shadow's name. And in the same moment, the shadow spoke without lips or tongue, saying the same word, and the two voices were one voice. What is the shadow's name? The shadow's name is his name, Ged. Does this mean the shadow had always been him all along? Laguina's is not saying that but it has become bound to him. And what results? It's over. 
He says, we find that that man, Gad had neither lost nor won, but naming the shadow of the death with his own name had made himself whole. Now that's an important line. He'd reintegrated himself. Was the naming here naming in the sense of having figured out its name and calling it by that name? Or should we see this as rather Ged imposing upon the shadow his own name, since the shadow lacks a name, giving to it his own name. Leguin doesn't tell us. Both of those are possible interpretations of what's happening here. What is the result? Gad had made himself whole, a man who knowing his whole true self cannot be used or possessed by any power other than himself and whose life therefore is lived for life's sake and never in the service of ruin or pain or hatred or the dark. And that brings this great early part of the saga of of Earthsea to a close. Gad, again, fleeing, facing, hunting, and then finally naming reciprocally his shadow. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.